Uh, please turn in your Bibles to uh, the, cha- the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 7. We continue our study. Uh, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, Exodus uh, 7, and uh, we pick it up in verse 8 today. And this is God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have uh, a a lot of commentaries, as you may or may not know. Um, The staff borrows from them all the time, and uh, ladies' ministry borrows from them all the time, and uh, you're welcome to borrow from them as well. That's a whole wall from Genesis to Revelation, a whole wall. And I've got a lot of commentaries on Exodus. Uh, Some are more helpful than others. I tend to go with... um, whoever's dividing the passage kind of like I am. And uh, anyway, this was a, I picked this one up kind of after the fact, and it's been a helpful volume. I've got uh, several books by this guy. He's got a couple on the Psalms that are really good and um, Isaiah and Deuteronomy. Anyway, at the beginning of his book, I didn't use any of this for today. Okay, but at the beginning of his book, you know, after he's got like abbreviations and, and uh, a couple other little things. Yeah, what is that? You have abbreviations and a glossary. He's got a glossary in there. Uh, before his, he writes his foreword, he's got this little notes on terminology. And this first little note on terminology, I find a little bit fascinating. Number one, the plagues. He says this, in the biblical text, the combined judgments on the Egyptians are never called the plagues, but simply signs and wonders. Hence, in the commentary, they are simply called signs. All right? Now, um, you know, in, in chapter 8, 32, it says this, um, if you refuse to let the, uh, the, the Israelites go, behold, I will plague all your country with f- frogs. Now, that word plague is in there, but it really means uh, smite, strike. Um, I, will, I will smite your country uh, with uh, frogs. Uh, the NIV and the New Living Translation say a plague of frogs, but actually he's plaguing them. Um, I know I want to be careful not to press that point too far, what this guy is saying, uh, because if you go to chapter 9, it says, uh, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. Okay, um, other translations, other, elsewhere in the Bible, it'll say uh, a very severe pestilence. Uh, if you look up pestilence, you'll see plague. If you look up plague, you'll see pandemic. You'll see all kinds of words in there, and so it becomes a, a battle of semantics. But my whole point in bringing this up is this, simply. That when God um, carries out his acts of judgment, it's a beat down. He is smiting them. Uh, He smites all those who oppose him. And uh, our big idea, our takeaway here today, I would love for you to remember this, that all false worship is idol worship. 
Everything misdirected, everything that's not given to God that should be given to God is idol worship, and God is not going to put up with it. He's going to smite. He's going to beat down. Um, um, and don't get hung up on the plague thing too much. Uh, yes, I think there are plagues, but uh, my, my, my point is that it's a beat down. That's what this guy was trying to say. Signs and wonders, it says in verse 3, I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land. That's the, the, the collective. But God smites his enemies. Yes, humankind can ignore can uh, dismiss, can mock God and his ways and his commands and his desires, but all will certainly be set aright. God is going to have a, a beat down. He will punish and judge all who worship that which is false um, and uh, anything but God in his holy perf perfection. And that brings us neatly to our first point, which is uh, this a paradigm for what's to come. Now, if you remember from last time, a Pharaoh was thought to be a deity, Pharaoh himself thought that he was a deity. He thought that he was the incarnation of two uh, um, Egyptian gods. There's a dozen of them or so, but two of them uh, had a little baby, and it was Pharaoh, sort of. And um, he believed that he was a god, and the Egyptian people also believed that he was a god. They heartily believed that. That was part of their national identity. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in verse 1, and we looked at this last time, in verse 1 of chapter 7, uh, and the Lord said to Moses... See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And uh, I told you last time that the word like is actually not in the text. All right? Um, some texts will say, I, will, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Some texts say, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. But really the idea is, I have made you God to Pharaoh. And that does not mean that Moses is a God or that Moses is partaking in any deity, deification. Uh, it is to say that Moses is God's representative. He's the one going with God's authority. It's as if God is standing there talking to Pharaoh. And by the way, Moses has his own prophet, Aaron. You know, when uh, Pharaoh talks, he says, um, in, like, like in verse 11, Pharaoh summons the wise men and the sorcerers, and uh, he says, uh, hey, uh, tell them this. And uh, that's what, how the Pharaohs operate. Uh, tell them this. Okay. And, and Moses is doing the same thing. Hey, Aaron, tell him this. And the, the message would not be lost on Pharaoh. Moses is as God to Pharaoh, complete with his own prophet. Thus, when God continues with his instructions to Moses and Aaron, he knows that Pharaoh's going to pick up on that claim. He knows that Pharaoh is tracking. Okay, this guy is making a claim about Israel's God. Moses comes as, as representative. He is as God to Pharaoh, and he's got his own mouthpiece, just like I do, Pharaoh, who thinks he's a deity. I've got my own mouthpiece, too. He's not missing the point. And God knows that Pharaoh is thinking, hey, I'm ruler of all things. Well, you know, the, the claim is you may think that you're ruler of all things, um, and you, you have complete control, but you don't. The real God the one true God has complete control over all things, and he will make you do what he wants you to do. God knows that Pharaoh will go, uh, oh, yeah, well, prove it. And thus, here we are in our passage, verse 8. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, God knows, God knows this, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become uh, a serpent. And uh, Moses and Aaron do that. They cast it down before Pharaoh, and it becomes a serpent. Now, 
If you look at the publisher's notation before verse 14, um, the, you know, the kind of the dark print in your Bible, it'll say something like the first plague, and it'll go on and on. It'll go on for five chapters. Uh, the first plague, the second plague, the, the eighth, ninth plague, the final plague. There'll be 10 of them. Five chapters, um, it'll go on. Uh, there'll be 10 of those things. And um, it's, but what we have here in this little passage today is a microcosm. It, it, it kind of tells us what's to come. I mean, the plagues haven't even started. Verse 14. All that stuff hasn't even started yet, but this is like the, the, the microcosm of what's going to happen there. Um, and we get a preview of what's to come. Um, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but anybody remember, anybody in here old? And uh, you remember the TR7, the Triumph TR7? I remember that vividly. Look, the shape of things to come. And even the way they, they, they do the, the graphics on that. I mean, you've got this kind of wedge thing. And, that, and you know, we look at that and we go, oh, so what? looks like a car. That was crazy radical, y'all. Crazy radical. Look at this commercial. Wow. <laughs> but look at the garage. It's a, t- a teepee, by the way. You don't need a regular garage. Eskimos. Well, <laughs> so yeah. Is that not crazy? But I'm telling you, that, that wet, the cutting wedge shape, in the cutting wedge shaped garages, uh, the shape of things to come. Well, you know what? It sort of was the shape of things to come. I mean, that's what cars look like now. They, before they were blocky and kind of square, and ca- you know, Cadillacs had square headlights, and you know, it was blocky and square, and now everything's aerodynamic. It really was the shape of things to come. My point is, this is kind of the shape of things to come. And uh, we get a preview of some stuff that's going to come. Like, for instance, here's one cool thing. Moses and Aaron obey. You know how Moses is going, oh, don't send me. I don't know if I can. I can't even talk. Well, guess what? Now he's going, got it. We got a different guy, a different Moses. He, he's obeying the whole way through. Um, you know what else we'll see continuing? There's pushback by Pharaoh. Uh, that will continue. Um, you know what else we'll see? Pharaoh's hard heart, it calcifies. It's already calcified. That will continue. We'll also see that God will show his superiority. That will continue. It'll happen again and again and again. And then finally, the people will be let go. We're going to see Passover and, and, and all that. Well, you know, um, uh, let me just flip ahead real fast here. You don't have to turn. But in, in, in chapter 15, Moses writes a song. And uh, he says this in, in the middle of his Moses song, which is it's, it's, all of a sudden you'll see it goes from a narrative to, to poetry. It's written in a highly stylized form. Um, it switches. Moses has poetry has wisdom literature all of a sudden in the middle of this narrative. And in the middle of all that, he says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods with a small g? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. He's talking about the Egyptian army chasing the Israelites and getting swallowed uh, by the sea. The earth swallowed them. The earth took care of them. Well, you know, that swallow word is the same idea here. In verse uh, uh, 12, each man cast down his staff and they become servants, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 
Well, that's, a, that's the shape of things to come. God's going to swallow up his enemies. And not only does that continue on for several chapters, five chapters, ten different events, but it continues, ladies and gentlemen, all the way to Christ on the cross. And it continues all the way until Christ's return and the ultimate setting uh, a right of, of all things when Christ comes with uh, judgment and, and restoration. So make sure when you read these Old Testament narratives that you don't just think, oh, what a strange story. I wonder what lesson I can manufacture with this uh, strange material, which, by the way, is the crux of all bad preaching. Uh, and it's uh, a misunderstanding of what the Bible is, and it's the bane of dispensationalism also. Um, but uh, anyway, this is the epic battle, ladies and gentlemen, whose victor is Christ. Remember, this is not a redemption story that we're reading. It is the redemption story. This is the shape of things to come. God's the winner. Now, let's look at one more thing on this point. Um, in verse 10, it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down a step before Pharaoh and his uh, servants, and it became a serpent. Now, Aaron cast down the staff. Just a, a question. Is it the same staff that Moses had, or is it a different staff? Does it even matter? Um, we're not told if it's the same staff as before, if it's Moses' staff, you know, uh, but, and, it, and it's not really critical to the point. But my view is it's probably the same staff. That's not to say it's a magic stick. But um, it's probably the same staff. You remember back in chapter 4, verse 2, when, when uh, this is back at the burning bush, um, the Lord says to Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. God says, throw it on the ground, verse 3. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses ran from it. And the Lord said, pick it up by the tail. So he did. And the staff uh, became, uh, it became a staff in his hand. And uh, God says, that's what I'm going to do. And then if you remember, when Moses packs up his stuff and wife and his sons and puts them on a donkey, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, they go back to the land of Egypt. The Bible goes out of the way to say, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Probably the same staff. Not critical of the point, but probably the same staff. And I think that it's, it's uh, maybe kind of a sweetness that uh, God would give some continuity of understanding for them uh, that would give them confidence in what they're doing. All right, last thing on this point is this. Uh, the Egyptians, um, they were afraid of snakes. You know, God chose this event. God chose this thing. He chose to turn a staff into a snake. That's a very strange thing, but it's a very specific thing. God chose to do that. In Egyptian culture, they were afraid of snakes, but they also greatly revered them. Have you ever seen the face mask of a pharaoh? You know, just think of Tutankhamun and uh, just any other, and there, there, tons of variations. You can find pictures of them all, on, uh, tons of them online. But, you know, they got the thing, and, and uh, there's a, oh, there's, I can't remember what this thing is. It's a bird or something like that. I can't remember what this other thing is, but there's a, there's a cobra. They were afraid of them. But, but they revered them too, and uh, they felt like it was a, uh, uh, an expression of power too. We're like a snake. You know, it's kind of like the don't tread on me flags from of, of old and of present. Um, so God has a very specific purpose to pick this thing. One other interesting thing about this word snake. In, the, in chapter 4, the, word, the Hebrew word for snake is different than the, the word for snake here. Both mean snake, but the one here... 
can also mean a large reptile. And so some scholars have thought that, uh, well, it's actually a crocodile. And uh, they do that because it makes the whole swallowing the other snakes thing easier to swallow. If it's a crocodile, uh, 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 you know, uh, you're not talking about an unhinged jaw and all that. We'll talk about that more a, 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 a little later. But, um, but all to say, it probably just means a large venomous snake, probably a cobra, which is in keeping with the Egyptian deference to snakes. Okay. All right. That's a lot of stuff. How do we apply all that to our lives? Why does that make a difference for you? Well, um, it wasn't crazy for Pharaoh to ask for a sign, was it? Oh, you claim to be representing God, huh? Well, prove it. God knew that he was going to ask that. Well, let, let me read you. Uh, oh, this isn't it. Here it is. Th this is from another guy, John Currid. I actually took a seminary class from him. And they filmed it, and he wore the same suit every single time. Um, but this dude is an archaeologist who became a seminary professor. And he's got a book. In fact, I need to buy it. It's a book on e Egyptian culture. He's got a couple of uh, other. But, I mean, I've got a bunch of commentaries from him. But uh, he is a scruffy, dusty-shoed uh, dude, uh, archaeologist cat. And, um, but he says this. Uh, in his book, and he is an expert, y'all, an expert, an archaeological expert. He says, in the first place, depicted on the front of the king's crown was an enraged female cobra, you know, hooded, or serpent. This uraeus, that's the headpiece thing, the uraeus, uh, was thought by the Egyptians to be energized with divine sovereignty and potency. It was considered the emblem of Pharaoh's power. It symbolized his divinity and majesty. When Aaron flings down the rod snake before Pharaoh, he is therefore directly assaulting that token of Pharaoh's sovereignty. The scene is one of polemical taunting. You know, bold, brazen taunting. Ha, ha. Man, I just love that. And, and, and this goes, he goes on to say that casting down the rod also challenged Egypt's magicians. Um, they had a lot of mythological texts and stories of things becoming something and coming, becoming else, something else. And anyway, it was just a, a brazen challenge uh, to those kinds of things. Um, you see that God, through his emissaries, was taking the most revered thing by Pharaoh and the Egyptians and throwing it, throwing it in the dirt. One, one writer said this, um, in Aaron's throwing down the staff, he was taking the symbol of the king's majesty and making it crawl in the dust. And he goes on to say that it was an attack on Egypt's belief system. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, that's, that's, that's how God arrests souls. Um, you remember the first Iraq war? Remember what it was called when we, would, all, when we shot all the stuff? You remember what it was called? Shock and awe. We're shock and awe, and you would watch it on TV, and you were like, yeah, I'm over here, and I'm on the winning side. It was shocking, and it was awful. It was amazing. Boom, 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 just lighten up the sky. Shock and awe. Well, that's what God is in the business of doing with our false gods. That's how a person comes to Christ in, in, the, in the first place. Now, I know some people come to Christ as a kid, and they don't remember how it happened, and, and that's, that's all fine and good. But, you know, in some of the, some of the adult conversions, people, they, they believe this, and they believe this, and they believe this, and you're not going to wrest it from my hands. And God goes, oh, really? Shock and awe. I'm going to take the thing that you treasure the most, 
that you put your confidence in, and I'm going to make it crawl in the dirt like a snake. Shock and awe. Yeah, that's the gospel message, Lord, uh, guys. The Lord um, breaks those things that we, that we regard so highly. And you know, as on the other side of salvation, as Christians, we still have those kinds of things. We're still gripping those things that we want to hold on to this thing and we want to hold on to control here and we want to hold on to control here. And God's in the shock and awe business. He takes the thing that, that's full of majesty in our understanding, that, 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 the, the hands on the steering wheel, and he pries them off and, and uh, he shows us uh, who the real God is. All right, our second point, uh, death is swallowed up. Look at verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and um, they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same things by their secret arts. Each man cast down his staff, they became serpents, uh, but Aaron's staff swallowed them up. Now, this puzzles us, and this troubles many, a soul who reads this, and it's usually answered in one of three ways, okay? What do we do with this? If you were teaching this, how would you handle this? Um, well, way number one is to say, well, it was sleight of hand. You know, they were, they were magicians, like, you know, like David Blaine or Penn and Teller, and they, they kind of did a trick. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's been said many a time by many a, by many a, a writer that, uh, you, you know, you ever seen anybody do any snake charming on, on the Internet? It's almost banned now. Uh, there's almost no snake charming left in the world. But, I mean, these snake charmers, they go, they play the thing, and, you know, snakes have a sense of sound, but it's not like they're going, oh, an oboe, you know. They're, they, they, uh, they feel vibration and stuff, but it's not really this, it's the, it's the motion. But these snake charmer dudes can come up to a, a hooded cobra that's up like this, and they can kiss them. And uh, you go, wow, they can kind of hypnotize them. They kind of move their leg like this, and they do kind of a motion, and somehow they kind of, well, they also do things like pull their fangs out. And uh, some of them sew their mouths shut, except for the, so the tongue, only the tongue. And you know, every five weeks they have to replace them because they croak. Uh, some of them feed them milk, which they can't digest, and it emaciates them. They like them in a weakened condition. And so people go, well, maybe, just maybe, it was a hypnotized snake. And so they hypnotize the snake, and, and they walk up and go, oh, yeah, it's a staff. Wow, and they throw it on the ground and go, oh, look at it, it's, it's slithering around again. Um, so some people think, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, David Copperfield did a, did a trick. Other people go, no, it was the power of the occult. Um, Satan has power. He doesn't have power over everything, but he has power, and, uh, and it's the power of the occult. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a second. Other people will say, uh, well, I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> like, I've got, I've got several commentaries where people are just like, you know what, not even going to not even going to mention it. And I get it. The, the, it, the scriptures don't, don't tell us. Well, here's some tricky things. First of all, it says, then Pharaoh summoned the wise men. That's plural. There are at least two, probably a lot. Uh, and the sorcerers, also plural. That's at least two, probably more. Um, and then it says, they, the magicians of Egypt, that's a class. That's a, that's a, that's a, a notable thing. It's a notable group of people did the same thing by their secret arts. Oh, so the magicians of Egypt, whatever that is, have secret arts, whatever that is. My point is, um, 
they were revered by, and they advised kings. They were revered by Egyptian culture and so on. It was a widespread practice in Egypt. They had to go summon these people and bring them on in. Um, it's not like a David Copperfield show in Las Vegas. It was not a matter of entertainment. So was it the powers of the occult or was it a hypnotized snake being thrown on the ground? I don't know. But and, you know, in fact, someone sent, you know, it's Halloween and somebody sent some little, or maybe it was on the news. It was, I think it was on the news. Do you believe in these things? It was a list of like six or seven different things. And one of them was ghosts. And uh, the next one was like the paranormal. And the next one was like a haunted, a haunted house or the, the capital is supposed to be haunted. Um, what's that place in Estes Park that we stayed in? The Stanley is supposed to be haunted. Do you believe in those things? And I was looking, I went down the list and I was like, no, 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 I don't believe in it. I think it's stupid. I don't, I'm not scared by movies that have, you know, that kind of stuff in it. I, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. But I will say this, when Jesus showed up on the scene, when the son of God took on a human nature and was going to die for the sins of mankind, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of dem demonic activity. When wouldn't there be? I mean, where all the forces of evil would be, would be at, their, at their uttermost uh, more than any other time. Uh, that was, that was the, the time for the hosts of hell to engage. Um, so perhaps there was greater demonic activity. I know there was in Jesus' day. Perhaps there was greater demonic activity during the, 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 this time as well. But whatever the case, um, the Bible says this in Colossians 2. You who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here it is. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. One writer said that uh, Satan's power over death was swallowed up by the resurrection. I happen to think that, I, I don't know for sure what was happening here. I don't know what was for sure. But I, I, I happen to think that God probably allowed these occult uh, activities uh, to occur so that uh, they, could be, they could be disproved. All right, application for our lives. You know what's different now? You know why we don't have to fear the paranormal and we don't have to look for signs and wonders? You don't have to ask God for signs. Oh, just give me a sign, Lord. Oh, I just wish there was some sign. You know who wants signs? Atheists want signs. They want signs. Um, you know what our sign is? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's our sign. Jesus is resurrected. That's our sign. That means that he accomplished what he came to do. It means that the sacrifice was accepted by God. He is at the right hand of God. And it means that death is not controlled by Satan. God has control over death. Jesus is God. He has control over death. Death has been swallowed up. Pharaoh wanted a sign. Every atheist wants a sign. No sign is needed. No sign is greater than a crucified God-man who is resurrected from the dead. That's all the sign you ever need. We'll talk about that and faith more in our last point, which is now. Um, the lethally heavy heart. That's our last point. The lethally heavy heart. There's one more thing about the snakes 
and a snake uh, that is uh, almost never mentioned. In fact, I didn't read one single writer who wrote anything about this, but I'm looking at it going, huh, you ever seen a video of a snake eating like a mouse? I mean, something small. I mean, they're not just going, Hark! like it's a hot pocket. <laughs> I mean, they're, and you see the feet and the tail, and you know, it takes a little while to kind of hork it down, and they kind of unhinge, and it takes a while. And, they, and so you got wise men, at least two. You got sorcerers, at least two. They're the magicians of Egypt. I mean, there's at least four staffs and snakes. Four's a lot. Probably there's more. And they're being eaten by this other snake. Now, what do we do with that? That's a lot of eating. Well, don't let that trouble you or distract you. I think what we're supposed to pick up on here, and, and the, the reason the Bible writes it unashamedly, I mean, there's going to be a whole bunch of miraculous stuff coming up, y'all. Miraculous. Miraculous. Some miraculous stuff has already happened. I mean, God appeared to Moses in a bush that didn't extinguish. The staff thing already turned into a snake and a leprous hand and all those things and a lot of miraculous stuff. Don't, don't yank the miraculous away from the situation. Um, something was supernatural that was happening so as to prove to Pharaoh that the forces um, were actually divine and they were gods. I think what we're supposed to see is the contradiction. Um, a miracle has taken place. However that, however that manifested itself, what, what the, the one staff ate all the other staffs. A miracle took place, but what did it end up doing? It only hardened Pharaoh's heart, which is pretty amazing. Um, and that scenario will happen again and again. His heart will be hardened and hardened and hardened and hardened. Here's what you need to know about Pharaoh's hard heart. Um, in verse 13, it says uh, in the ESV, my translation here, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now, if you look at the New King James Version, it'll say this. Pharaoh's heart grew hard. That's not the idea. That's not the tense. Um, it's not saying that his heart grew a little harder each time. It is saying that it was already hard. Pharaoh's heart was hard. It was confirmed in its hardness and confirmed in its hardness and confirmed in its hardness, but it was already hard. And if you look it up, literally the meaning, his heart was heavy. Thus, my point, the, the lethally heavy heart. It was heavy. It was hard. It was leaden. You know, many, many a religion, many a belief system, many a um, person envisions the goodness of God on a scale. And uh, religion's all over the place. You know, you kind of think of a scale and, uh, you know, you, you got your bad stuff here and you got your good stuff here and you hope that the bad stuff isn't heavier than the good stuff. And that's how, that's how all false religions think about righteousness. Um, speaking of false religions, the Catholic Church. I mean, you know what the difference... Oh, I don't want to stray too far, but, um, you know, if I um, go put money in your bank account, it's been imputed. It's been reckoned to your account. The bank goes, oh, Bob has $372 in his account. It's been reckoned to your account. It's imputed. You know what imparted is? Hey, Here's some grace. Now go work it out. 
That's the Catholic, that's the difference between Protestantism and Catholic Catholicism, basically. God accomplishes the entire work, or God says, hey, here's some grace, now go work it out. The scale crap. It's all over all false religions. Oh, my bad stuff. I hope it does not weigh the good stuff. Here's the twist. Righteousness in this regard, and you can find it, Egyptian hieroglyphics that have the scale things on there. Righteousness in this regard, uh, it's like there's a feather on one side, and that's righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Is your badness heavier than a feather? I bet it is. One bad thing's heavier than the feather of righteousness. That's the sin problem. That's the conundrum. Here's, here's, that's your quick diagnosis. Is your badness heavier than a feather? Well, then you need a Savior who is Jesus. I'll close with this. You know, if you're putting some trim in your house and you measure out a space and it's uh, 8 feet 0.375 inches, and you go to the piece of wood and you measure it out and it's 8 feet 0.375 and you cut it and you pick that thing up and you walk over to the open space and you put it in there and wow, it fits perfectly. 8 feet 0.375 inches. You know what that's called? Math. <laughs> Math is great. Math works. But you know what? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a belief, a convicted belief in things that are not seen. That's what faith is. It's not math. It's faith. Spiritual faith requires a belief in that which is unseen. Pharaoh wanted a sign. You know what? Jesus actually gave people signs. Lots of them. You know what they wanted? More signs. Give us another sign. Give us another sign. Well, the problem is the leadened heart. It's heavy. It's hardened. Another blast from the past. Do you remember the Jarvik 7? Do you remember the Jarvik? You know what the Jarvik 7 was? Uh, yeah, it was an artificial heart by a doctor named Jarvik who invented it. And uh, the, long, the guy who lived the longest on the uh, Jarvik 7 heart, I think he lived 620 days. Uh, that was the longest one who ever lived. But you know what? He had multiple strokes before he died, and then he died. And guess, you know, you know where the artificial hearts are now? That was, it was going to be like, oh, you don't need a new heart. You just put in the, the, the Jarvik uh, 37, <laughs> and uh, you'll be fine. You could just, like, it's a knee replacement. Well, that, that's not happening. Um, the, the Jarvik 7 is no replacement for the real heart. Um, Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. That's what God does when he brings someone to uh, real spiritual life. He takes the dead stony heart and he replaces it with one that's spiritually beating and alive. He gives blind eyes sight. He gives dead ears the ability to hear. And he gives our understanding, our spirit's understanding. Uh, it's a new heart, a new life. It's God's intervening work that saves. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the ultimate sign, who is Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns and rules dynamically. Uh, we thank you that we can uh, rest in what he accomplished on the cross, that we don't have to wonder if it's going to be sufficient. It is. Uh, his righteousness is the righteousness of God, and that's what we needed. We needed the perfect human life. We needed the righteousness of God that we would be acceptable in your sight. We thank you for the reality of the gospel. We pray it uh, because of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.